Welcome to The Driven Entrepreneur, where we sit down with visionaries, trailblazers, and entrepreneurs, and discover why and how they do what they do. We'll get the backstory, plus plenty of life and business lessons along the way. Here's your host, Matt Browning. Hey, this episode is brought to you by my very own NLP Practitioner Course. I've been teaching neuro-linguistic programming, or NLP, for nearly 15 years. It is the most powerful tool for communication on the planet, and it can be yours today. For a very limited time, I'm giving away my entire NLP course workbook for free. Go to nlpwithmatt.com. All the patterns, all the tools, and the techniques of NLP in the complete course workbook, the same one that we use to teach our live certification classes, yours free. NLPwithmatt.com. Get it today. Let's get back to the show. What's going on, my friends? Welcome back to another show. It's the Driven Entrepreneur. And of course, you're listening because you're either a driven entrepreneur, you want to be a driven entrepreneur, or you just love listening to driven entrepreneurs. Driven for what? We're driven to go create. We're driven to inspire, to change the world, to do something. Maybe it's big. Maybe it's small. Maybe it's about money. Maybe it's about impact. I don't know. But every single week, we always, of course, have a phenomenal interview with a driven entrepreneur. And as you've noticed, if you've been with me on the show and listening for the last few weeks and months, you've seen that I've really been on purpose, intentionally hitting the gambit of really, I've been looking for unique and different entrepreneurs that have different stories. And I've been looking, I've brought, I brought on um, Olympic hopefuls and athletes, and I brought on movie producers and comedians, and I brought in coaches and, and authors. And today I have a spiritual meditation expert, which I'm very excited about. Now, Andy Seth, my guest this week is a serial entrepreneur. He's a best-selling author. He's a music producer. Uh, he's founded nine successful businesses, helped thousands of people to break the cycle of poverty. He's raised millions of dollars through charitable endeavors. He's also the CEO of Flow Marketing and serves as the trustees chairman for Minds Matter. It's uh, a governor's fellow and is a master diver. Man, there's so much to this guy. He's been there. He's done that. And we're going to get into his story and why meditating, volunteering is something that's so important for him. But before we get into that, Andy, Seth, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Dude, it, you know, it's nice to, to be where you are is really what, I, what I'm looking for in life because you're a very positive dude. Uh, from the first second we got on the air, you just, you're easygoing, uh, you laugh at silly jokes, and I like your personality, so that's a good thing. But tell me what, <laughs> so serial entrepreneur, your nine successful businesses, what were you, as a kid, what were you like as a kid? Did you always know you were going to be entrepreneuring or is this something that you fell into kind of later in life? Can you give us a little <laughs> snapshot of the childhood um, mindset? <laughs> Bro, I, I definitely didn't even know the word entrepreneur. Let's just start there. Um, I started off uh, pretty, pretty low income. So a lot, a lot of people that have had similar backgrounds, I think, tend to really vibe with my my story because I grew up in a motel in Los Angeles um, from the age of zero all the way till I was 14. And it was one of those motels where uh, it was generally pretty dodgy folks uh, or people just kind of down and out in their luck. Uh, they paid rent weekly. Let me put it like that. The, the, the bathrooms weren't in the rooms. They were communal. Um, 
my, my mom did the tenant's laundry. Uh, so it just gives you an example of like what kind of foot, what kind of place that is. It's very different in fact than even today's motels. But so growing up, uh, I don't think I was thinking about entrepreneurship. I certainly didn't know the word. Uh, what I was thinking was, uh, well, I knew one that, that by the time I was eight o'clock, eight, eight years old, we went bankrupt and I knew what it meant to not have money uh, and to be lying about like not having the money and not being able to pay creditors back and, sure. and that kind of thing. Um, and so after that, really, when I was 10, I started to just find ways to make money. Uh, and there wasn't anything other than that. Just like I wanted to buy stuff and I needed some money. And so I started my first, like, uh, it wasn't a business. It was just selling stuff. Um, I used to dumpster dive and uh, there was a, a factory actually right around my right around the motel that made it was, it was in hindsight I guess it was a commercial printer but they had sheets of discarded stickers in the trash and so I just hopped the fence dove into the dumpster and pulled out those sheets and cut them up cut up the stickers discarded the ones that were you know that didn't print well and then I go to school and sell for a oh, dollar for five or 25 cents each uh, and that so was my you, first. You even like, had the package pricing dialed in, <laughs> man. I just knew a deal. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, no deal. You know, it, it's fascinating to me, Andy, how many entrepreneurs we've had on this show that at some point did something similar where it was like, it wasn't so much, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm going to start a business, but it was more like, I'm going to start a hustle. I'm going to find a way to find something that someone wants and sell it to them. So whether it's getting a Costco box of Snickers and sell them at the at high school or, I mean, what a great story, dumpster diving for stickers and then reselling them. And so your cost of goods sold is 0%. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, a, a high risk premium should have been put into the pricing now that I think about it. Uh, <laughs> but I got busted, you know? <laughs> yeah. How uh, Did you ever get busted dumpster diving? Uh, not, not the dumpster, no. But I did get busted at school because uh, the stickers became like really popular. If you think about oh, back no. in, in my day, like, People have book covers, trapper keepers, lockers, like stickers were everywhere. And I had a couple other dudes that were selling them. Uh, I would just stuff them into their backpacks and then like they would go sell them. You did uh, not have a whole fleet of I mean, I don't know that fingers. I had a fleet. I had a couple homeboys, you know, but <laughs> but, That's awesome. but the principal, the principal, yeah, he put he put a stop to it. He was like, look, you, you, you can't be selling stuff here. And I was like, all right, cool. But by then, um, there was this guy from around the neighborhood. His name was Dell. For any hip hop fans out there, we used to call him uh, Funky, out of, named after Dell the Funky Homo Sapien. And um, Dell came around and was like, "Hey man, I got this bike. You want to buy it? It's ten bucks." And I was like, "I was ten years old, and I was like, ooh, I actually got ten bucks. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll buy that bike." In hindsight, like it was definitely stolen. Uh, definitely, <laughs> definitely stolen. But you're thinking but, this is just a ten dollar bike? Thank goodness. I just, yeah, I was like, yeah, I mean, ten bucks. So, uh, so that's what started my paper route, and uh, I got off the sticker clan for a little after that. <laughs> So you started a paper route at 10 years old off a $10 stolen bicycle that you didn't steal, to be clear. <laughs> yeah, That's pretty You incredible. got the great sound clip right there. I, I've never even thought about that way. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's going to be the whole way we promote this show. <laughs> the commercial is, so you started a paper route with a $10 stolen bicycle that you didn't steal. Okay, good. So in hindsight, Andy, like look, looking at those moments, because certainly you were like driven as a kid, like, I'm going to go start a paper route. I'm going to go sell stickers. I want to have money. At what point did you look at it as something like, I just want to have stuff and I don't have any money? Or did you look at like your parents' situation, the motel situation and say, you know, 
this sucks. I don't want this. I got to figure out something different. What's going through your mind sort of as you get older, maybe getting into even your, you know, your adolescent teenage years, um, growing up with so little, was it really exciting to like start making some money and you're like, Hey, look at me, I can get what I want. Or was it still more kind of that survival? I just don't want to be broken, hungry anymore. Can you tell me a little bit about your, um, your evolution of thinking, I suppose? Yeah, I think the answer, honestly, is I had both thoughts in parallel at that age, right? For sure, I, I knew things were rough for us. Like, it wasn't, you know, there's some folks that live in, in poverty and they, like, didn't know any different. I don't think I knew any different until we went bankrupt. But when you live in a motel already and go bankrupt, like, it was, it was pretty dire. So I, I knew I didn't want to have that life anymore. And my folks were really big on education as being the path out. For me, it turned out to be a combination of education and entrepreneurship. Uh, but I knew I didn't want to have that life. And they always talked to me about like, just work really hard and like, you can make it. This is America. My parents are both immigrants from India. So, you know, they ha we had that like belief, that core belief there. But at the same time, once I started making some money, it was cool to be able to have stuff. So I'd say I had, I had both. And as my journey kind of evolved, um, and there's a lot we can unpack, but uh, it stopped being about buying things. It, it started being about like, I was playing in a game that was really cool and I didn't know anything about it, but I really had fun doing it. And I turned out I was pretty good at this business thing. Um, and it turns out I was also a really good student. And so for a long time, those ran in parallel until they conflicted and I had to choose whether I would stay in school or, or continue with business. Okay, well, let's jump right to that story because that sounds, sounds like it's going to be good. At mm -hmm. what point are, are, is this in, in high school and college? Where are you going? Is this business thing going to be really big? Because I, th I think that speaks to sometimes like the, the plan A, plan B type mentality people get. And, you know, it's like, okay, if I'm going to go, I'm going to go all the way. Did you feel like you, were, you had to commit to it all the way and abandon and burn the ship, so to speak? Mm, no. Uh, well, this, this, this juncture occurred in college. Uh, I was, we're going to fast forward through a couple of things here, but I was a DJ uh, from the age of 13 to 22. And I started building websites for the nightclubs that I was spinning at while I was in college. And then I started promoting those nightclubs. But this I'm website. Sorry, so 13, what the, where are you spinning at 13? Are you doing like bar mitzvahs or are you going to nightclubs under getting cash under the table? Tell me, is there anything <laughs> between the 13 to 18 period of time spinning? <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah. When I was 13, I started, I learned how to DJ under a, a DJ named Caesar who was pretty big in uh, the radio in Los Angeles. And um, he took me under his wing. And, and so uh, he had taught me a lot and put me on. I, I, I won a pretty big competition and, and learned under him. And so I started doing house parties. That was pretty basic. Um, but I ended up that summer that I learned between eighth grade and, and freshman year of, of high school. Uh, I was l learning that in LA, but I then went away for high school. I went away because I got a full ride to a school called Culver Military Academy in Indiana. And so while kids were going on shopping trips. I would take the same shopping trip bus and, and they would kind of let you loose in the city for a little while to go shopping. Uh, I would hit the record stores because Chicago was really big on deep house back then. We're talking about um, 1994, 93. And so I started really getting into deep house, putting those records together. And then there was a overnight trip where people could go and they were seeing stuff like Phantom of the Opera. And it was like a, a 
it was like an overnight trip to Chicago from Indiana. Uh, and we were staying in the Marriott hotel and I ventured upstairs to the Marriott where they had a bar and a dance floor and I uh, walked up to the DJ and was like, Hey man, like, you know, I'm a, I, I spin, I'm from LA. Like, can I drop a set? And he was like, nah, man, like, I can't let you do that. You know, but like, cool, man. And I was like, come on, just let me drop one set. Like, I, I promise you I'll get people out here. Cause it was kind of sparse. People were just not really dancing. Sure. Um, he's like, go ask my manager. And I asked the manager, I was like, Hey man, you mind if I, you know, I'm a DJ from LA. You mind if I drop a set? And he was like, how old are you? And I was like, no, that's cool. Like I'm, you know, <laughs> no, it's cool. Age. That's your answer. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, <laughs> right, well, not cool. <laughs> he was like, let's see what you can do. I dropped I a set that. and like brought everybody out and he, and right on the spot, I still have it to this day on the business card, the back of his business card, he wrote the offer, which was $15 an hour. And so whenever we'd come in to do shopping trips and overnight trips, uh, where the rest of the students were doing those things, um, I had a, I had a nice little gig at the Marriott. Man, that's that is what, awesome. That's what, yeah, that's what kind of started it. And then from there I started doing mixtapes, uh, selling mixtapes to kids in uh, music starved Indiana wasn't exactly the hardest thing in the world, but it was pretty innovative <laughs> back then. So, um, I made a lot of good money on, on mixtapes. And then by the time I got to college, uh, I was headlining six nights a week, my freshman year in Boston, uh, promoting the same club. So that I could also take a cut of the door, uh, using AOL chat rooms to pull girls in from the chat rooms, which meant guys would follow. Uh, and then I started selling them websites and I had gotten into websites through a guy that had kind of told me about what a website <laughs> was. And, uh, and that was what the, the business that I built after while DJing really was this company called funky web. Funky web was a website design firm. And I started building those websites and chat rooms onto those websites and then for, for nightclubs. And, um, we got to a point my sophomore year where, uh, I was doing about a quarter million in EBITDA by that time. Um, and so that was, a, that was way more money than I had ever seen. My whole family had ever seen anything like that. My, my parents basically said, look, you need to, uh, you need to like stick with your studies. Like uh, th this, this is <laughs> good Indian parents. Yes. <laughs> right. Yes. There's no is, stereotypes here, but yeah, mom, dad, I'm making a quarter million dollars in the business. And I think I could crank it up. You yeah. need to stick with your studies. That's right. Yeah. I, that I think that, that was a minor attempt at an accent. Let me just do it for you. Like, beta, stay with your studies. Don't do this too much. Business, business. It is not going to be very good. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. <laughs> I'm sure I didn't even mean to do it in a terrible stereotypical accent. I am not that guy. But oh my gosh, that's hilarious. So, uh, yeah. So, you know, there were, there wasn't a lot of examples, my brother, there was, you know, Bill Gates, he wasn't exactly looking like me. Uh, and frankly, there wasn't a lot of representation. Even today, it's hard to see it, but there weren't a lot of people that came from my background and looked like me that were well-known who had dropped out of college because they started this business. Really, all I could point to was Bill Gates at the time. Um, and like that wasn't a model for my future. So, well, so you're talking about socioeconomic. Are you talking about cultural, racial? All like, of it. All yeah, of it. Like, you, go, I'm, you don't have someone to look up to that you can say, yeah, if he made it, I can make it, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, frankly, that's why, that's why it's really important for me to share my story now and, like, and, and why I reached out to you to be able to do that because there's a lot of people that just don't see them in the mainstream media anymore. And uh, not anymore, like they just don't see them. And, you know, my, my book, for example, was written for uh, people who are really into like the hip hop culture. And uh, it's to bring them the ancient Eastern teachings of, of spirituality and yoga, uh, yoga as a, as a practice, not like the poses, but um, to bring 
that to an urban culture and, and it's turned out to work with them, but it's also turned out to really resonate with people that are like highly successful um, and have nothing to do with being urban. Uh, it's just hip hop seems to permeate the cultural bounds now these days. But um, yeah, so, so for me, there just wasn't anybody that I looked to and I was like, oh yeah, I could do it like them. And frankly, everyone was very discouraging of it. My parents were certainly, you know, like education first and, and I understand why. Um, well, it's the, only the, way out, it's the only way out of the poverty pit. Yeah, that's right. Um, that's the way out of poverty, right? Depending on what the culture is. It's like if yeah. you could just get, ed- if our kids could get educated, they could finally get a dream job as an accountant or yeah. as an engineer. You know, I mean, how amazing would that be? And it's totally. like every culture has their different, their different dream. So for you, when, when you're spinning and when you're doing website development for clubs and promoting, at what was there a point when you were like, you know what, I don't have to spin anymore, or was it a thing where you're like, you know, th- we're making, I'm making all this money doing this other work, but I still love this. Like, did it continue being a side hustle as far as the the website work? Was there a moment when you were like, you know what, I'm going to pour into this, and I'm not going to have time for this other stuff anymore. It's going to become a hobby. Tell me about that kind of the transition, if there was one, in the different types of work you were doing. Yeah. That's actually, you're the first person to ask me that. I appreciate the question. Amen. Um, the challenge that I had was I was on scholarship at, at Boston College. And so I had to maintain a 3.5 GPA. And that, that required work. Um, so I had school work. I had uh, the DJing and the nightclub promotion. And then I started this, this, this first business was Funky Web. And then after that, I, I started another one. But it was basically like daytime school uh, daytime also like building out these websites in between classes. Cause you know, you're not always in class and then doing some homework. And then at night I'd run the, the, the nightclubs and, and DJing. Um, I don't, honestly, I didn't trade anything off. I mean, the, the truth was like, I just wasn't really into sleep. I think military school prepared me well for it, but I didn't sleep too much. And, and all of this was just so exciting. And like, it was just opportunity everywhere. You know, I mean, think about it. I was making websites, man, back in 94. Like, that no, was... I mean, I didn't even know there was a website. And I didn't know there was a, we- a worldwide web in 94. Sorry, sorry, 96 is when I started the website. 94 was DJing. 96. But What's yeah, 96. I mean, I'm right. finishing high school, man. And I, you know, I graduated in 98. So in 96, I'm writing, mm-hmm. you know, book reports on right. WordPerfect Word 5.1 on my IBM, right. you know, JP yeah. computer. And, and that yeah, was totally. cool. Yeah, totally. AOL right? Chatter. So, well, let, let's let's pop back to kind of a, a, a different subject just real quick. Is mm-hmm. as I'm here with Andy Seth, uh, Andy Seth, and he has a new book that came out late last year. It's called Bling: A Story About Ditching the Struggle and Living in Flow. I love that subtitle. I can tell you, I've seen a lot of books come over this show, and this is one of my favorite subtitles. Bling. Oh, thank you, bro. A story about that. ditching the struggle and living in flow, and clearly from your story you've had the struggle and you you're ditching it or ditched it and living in flow. So it sounds already as you're talking about opportunities are everywhere. You're spinning and you're doing websites and you're promoting clubs. And it's like, you know what? Money seems to be flowing easier. Maybe, maybe you're realizing subconsciously or consciously it's a lot easier than you thought it was to make things happen. And there's a ton of opportunity. Did you feel like you're in flow at that point or did that take some more struggle Tell me about sort of when you first realized, wait a second, I get to live in flow. Is that then or is that later in life? No, that's definitely not then. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's not flow yet. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that is, uh, that's just the, the good old fashioned American value of hard work. Um, I think flow to me today means being both ambitious and highly ambitious and completely chill and at peace inside that is flow state. And I didn't have the at peace. Then I definitely had the, like, I, I know I'm, I'm making something here and it's working and I don't know how this happens or how this works or how long it will last. Uh, I mean, there's so many unknowns and, and the, the amount that I was naive was just, was, is kind of unfathomable today. If it, just to give you an, an example, um, when I sold this web company, because that was the decision I decided, you know, that I made so that I stay in school and, and not hurt my grades and jeopardize the, the ability to get my degree, I sold it, but I sold it to a group of guys who lived just down the street. They also had been doing websites and you know, I sold it. I, I, I sold it by saying like, uh, cool. Like you'll just give me some shares in your company. Yeah. All right. Well, here's my client list. And we shook hands. There's no legal agreement. There was no like paper that said, here's how much shares. Like we, we just agreed to it. Well, I found out, uh, I actually got a phone call. It was the, a, a year ish later in the summer that they had sold to a company that was a big, big company back then, uh, called March 1st. And they were a big web design company. And, um, none of my shares were assigned because we didn't have like anything in writing and they just didn't. Uh, so as much as I was making, I made nothing in terms of equity. Um, and so like, I still had this, I still lived in a little, in like a state of struggle from that standpoint, but I now unlocked inside of myself, this confidence that was, Oh, there's this thing that is called business. And I think I can get down in this world. Like I, I think I can do stuff in here. And so from there I started something else, but you know, I, I, I didn't, I didn't like, I wasn't in flow state then. I tell you that much. I was, that was rough. <laughs> but you're definitely starting to understand the game that you're playing. And mm -hmm. it's like th this business game and it's like, okay, there's more to it. And so did you try your hand at something entirely new? Did you get back into web? Did you get back into the club world? Tell me kind of what, because it sounds like there's going to be some kind of a pothole along your journey here between that moment of selling that web business and not getting any equity for it to getting yourself to flow state. What was the, the biggest pothole you ran into on the road to success? The, the pothole? <laughs> uh, if you could just drive your car into a long ditch, is it a pothole? <laughs> What's the Grand Canyon you run it? The bridges out sign. What was that? Um, so after, after the, the funky web, um, I partnered up with some old friends who owned a golf store, a physical golf shop in, in LA. And we started uh, and grew golfstore.com and sold that just before the tech bust happened. And in that one, we had everything very proper. Um, the tech bust happened though. And so as a result, while we did have some cash payout, most of it was still an equity, equity deal. And, and unfortunately, as the tech bust happened and what happened to a lot of folks, ourselves included, like we didn't, we didn't go public and I think we didn't have a liquidity event that we thought we would. Uh, so that was, you know, in a way kind of one for three by then my, my DJ business was still doing really well, but, uh, there wasn't these, these massive like exits on that. After that, 
then I, I started to see a little bit more success. I, I helped build a consulting practice uh, that grew to 500 people, four continents. I actually was the first one to take us internationally, met my wife in India. Um, and then we, that business ultimately sold to Accenture. Um, and so that one, that one was a good, a good success for, for a host of reasons. And then from there, I built a wealth management company, uh, built that from $0, no family money. I wasn't even in, obviously like I wasn't in the, my consulting practice had nothing to do with finance. Um, it was supply chain management and procurement. Uh, and so Hmm. I went into this wealth management with $0, no family money, no, no book of business and grew that to be a hundred million in assets, uh, with seven employees. So you can do some basic math on that one. And, um, uh, sold that my majority interest in 2015. Um, and that's where, that's really where the, the big, like, I'd say like depression, not clinically, but yeah, I mean, for me, yeah, that's where it hit. You know, I had, I'd become the cliche of I've now got time and money and like, this is, this was the upper limit and I, and I wasn't fulfilled and I've done a lot socially too. I've, I've, sent hundreds uh, into the thousands now of low-income kids to college through my nonprofits and uh, kids just like me. Like I've done a lot that's fulfilling, but reaching that pinnacle for me, at least by that point uh, from business, like it just didn't do it. And so that's where I went on this quest and then went, took me back to my roots in India. My family's from the birthplace of yoga in a small town called Rishikesh, which is at the base of the Himalayas where the Ganges River starts. And I really started to, to you know, just connect dots about how to be this really successful business person and at the same time how to have the kind of inner joy where none of it mattered. And my uncle is a jeweler, uh, very successful. By Indian standards, just unbelievable. But by American standards, he's <laughs> by very By Indian standards. <laughs> you know? and. Um, his name is Guddu, and he's the he's the guide in my book Bling. He's the only name I didn't change, and he taught me just some unbelievable lessons that really clicked for me. And and I, I realized, you know, in a meditation, it kind of came to me like this: what he's taught me has completely transformed the way that I that I experience life. I would love for these lessons to go back to the people that I've come up with. But they're not going to hear it from some foo-foo, you know, talk in person or uh, dudes in robes who are monks or, uh, you know, your, your yoga chick on Instagram. Like, they're not hearing it from them. So, like, of who's course. talking to them? Because nobody was talking to me that, made that, that vibed. It wasn't that the message isn't out there. It's that nobody said it in a way that made me want to hear it. Well, and, it's like um, it's a different culture and a different a different circle, and the messages seem to be almost what's the word for that? It's like, like they're they're inner focused, right? Like they're, mm-hmm. you know the the Christian gospel message is most often kind of framed for people that are Christians, and the mm-hmm. spirituality message and a meditation message is framed for people that already like that, and they're mm-hmm. already into that. But what about the outreach, and what about people that need to hear it and need to understand it? To your point, yeah. the entrepreneurs that are stressed out of their minds and right. don't get that you can have peace within the struggle and you can find something different. That's it, man. That's exactly it. And it just wasn't a message that I had, I guess that I had grabbed onto or heard in a way that, like I said, that resonated for me. And so I just figured, you know, there's got to be people out there 
like that. Um, and so then it came time to write this book and you know, the, the truth is on this book, like it came to me as a message and, and I really do believe in the power of the universe. And uh, my job was just to give it my absolute all. And I was the right messenger for it. But um, there's not even like a business attached to it. Of all the things that you've heard me talk about business wise, mm -hmm. uh, there, I'm not a life coach. I don't sell an online course. What? Um, yeah. I, there's what are you no talking business. about? But, how, but what are we going to do if we don't have an online course and you can't be my coach? Oh, no. <laughs> we have to you know take responsibility saying? for ourselves. Yeah, right? That's yes, right? And so what, I, what I've decided is, you know, I've, I've been blessed with on the business front and, I, and I, I built, I'm building new businesses all under the, the brand name of Flow, uh, which for now obvious reasons. And um, I've decided I'm just going to turn all of the company's services on me as a client. So my marketing agency, for example, Flow Marketing, I'm just its biggest client now. Um, I love that. Right. And I use my thought leadership uh, to publish work that is super thoughtful, very, very premium level. And I do it at a frenetic pace. I'm doing one a week uh, in terms of articles with a whole bunch of, of content that surrounds it. Uh, and I do it because I have an agency that can, that can create that. Uh, we do it for other personal brands, but I'm one of them. And so all the content I give away is, is at no cost because my mission here is to actually help people, you know, find that kind of inner peace, but at the same time, not have to choose between the material world that we do live in and we want to do well in and this inner spiritual world, which we also want to do well in, I've always felt like it was a false dichotomy. And it felt like people were always giving me either of the choices. Either I'm going to be relinquishing, uh, renouncing the material world and living yes. in robes, or, I have, or I'm going to be on the cover of Forbes. So it's robes or Forbes. And, and you have to pick. Yeah. And like, it's just not true, man. That's just not true. And, and uh, so anyway, so that's more, why man. I put out all this content for free. And, I, and the book is, the book obviously sells because like, uh, it, I mean, you charge for a book, it's, but come on, like the honest truth is I probably give away more copies, signed copies at that than, than I'm like necessarily trying to sell. I mean, this thing's probably sold in the thousands, but I'm giving away more thousands than that. Um, and I produced an album that goes with the book. It's a soundtrack to the book. So if you look under my artist name, A-Love, A-L-U-V, A-L-U-V, Look it up anywhere, Spotify, YouTube, you name it, whatever. Okay, okay. Um, I produced a soundtrack because as I was hearing, as I was writing the book, I started hearing the sounds that I was talking about in the book. And I was like, yo, that'd be fresh to have that kind of music. Like it doesn't exist. And so I just decided, well, I'm going to make it. Um, I got a DJ background. I've got a good ear. I've never produced music before. But you know what? Like, so what? <laughs> like, let me just go see if I can. Well, you, you tell me, listeners, you go listen to the music. And you tell me what you think, but I'll tell you this much, like, uh, it's blown away all my expectations. And the best part about it is my kids listen to the music. They know all the lyrics because there's no cussing. It's all uplifting messages, but every track is influenced by each chapter in the book, seven chapters in the book, seven tracks in the album. They're all same titled bling is the album bling is the book. Each, each chapter and track are the same titles. So it's a beautiful way to spread a message, right? We don't have to be one-dimensional artists anymore. Uh, and, and if we are really believing in the power of spreading a message that's important to others, we should be multi-dimensional and bring all of our facilities to bear. And that's why I use, I use, I've got a book, I've got 
the album. I've got content, like articles. I mean, social media, man, I'm everywhere, but I'm not even talking about my business. I'm out there talking about a why message, it's so man. important. Yeah. yeah you're talking so about a message that people need to hear. Sorry. You're mm-hmm. talking a message people need to hear a message that, you know, that you can have peace within turmoil that you don't need to have robes or the Forbes. I like that. Um, and you're sharing what people need to hear. I think the, the world it really is full so much often of, um, and there's a part of it that's true that we need to self-promote, right? And I actually just talked about this on a podcast earlier today that, you know, people don't self-promote. We actually need to do that. But the world sometimes is full of this like self-promoting thing. And we don't spend enough time just being able to say, what, if I had the world's ear, what would I want it to hear? You know, what would I really want to give out? What would I want people to listen to? If you had, and this might not be fair on the spot, but I'm sure it's something you thought of. If you went to a motel today and, you know, one of the, the kind of motel you grew up in, um, lots of families living there and you were doing something with a bunch of the kids that are living there full time and you could share kind of one message with those kids, what, what kind of message would you share with them? What would you want to say? Struggling is a choice, man. You, suffering is a choice. The situation we have isn't, but how you experience that situation is your choice. And everything from there on out is all on you. You don't have to depend on social inequities to be solved. You don't have to depend on people like providing you with, uh, you know, opportunities every which way. Like the, the truth is, if you grow up the way I grew up, like you're not going to get those. I didn't have any nonprofits coming at me. I didn't have any, you know, uh, and I, and I do those nonprofits now. I didn't have any of that, those resources. I'm not saying like everyone's going to have my story. All I'm saying is don't let the situation you're in define who you are going to be. Come you on, can love bring it. You get to choose that. And, and I know this is very counterculture in some ways because look, you know, when we talk about like what's happening inside of, of urban areas, especially there's a big problem of victim mentality. Yes. A big victim mentality. And look, I'm not, I work on social inequities. I'm a governor's fellow. Like the reason why the governor of Colorado handpicked me to be a student under him for a full year is because he wants me to come into politics for two years just to do what I can do in politics. I care deeply about solving social problems. I'm just telling you, Let's go work on those. But at the same time, like don't suffer, still go get yours. You can go get yours, be super ambitious and not have to suffer because that suffering is a choice. I couldn't, I definitely couldn't say it better myself because I'm not you. So guys, I'm talking with Andy Seth as we're winding down in our time together. Andy Seth, um, you can follow Andy at LinkedIn at Andy Seth or Instagram, Mr. Andy Seth. And I'm looking at your Instagram and you got some, some, some great pictures here. You got, you know, pictures of, uh, your wife smiling at you during your, it looks like Indian wedding, I'm assuming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got a- yoga pictures. You got some, some straight dope, like on the streets in front of graffiti. Like you, you have some really, really good shots in here that, that, Thanks, that make you feel something. So if you want some, some inspiration, some uplifting, make sure you follow Mr. Andy Seth at Instagram. And then we're talking about his book, Bling, a story for about ditching the struggle and living in flow. You can get that Amazon wherever books are sold. And then check out the, this is the first time I've ever had an author with a soundtrack, not the audible book, but the soundtrack, the music to go along with the story of Bling. Check out the music album Bling by A-L-U-V by A-Love. You can find that on Spotify. Um, 
excuse me, and just a couple more questions as we kind of wind down our time together. Where are you going from here? You're going heavy into thought leadership, into, you know, your own spiritual practice, your own inspirational messaging for everyone. Where do you see yourself in the next season? You know, maybe, I don't know if it's the next five years, 10 years, but kind of that, whatever that next season, the next chapter of your life and in business life, where do you, what do you see coming next? What are you excited about? Yeah, I definitely have a lot of clarity around my 10 year vision. Uh, and I'll, and I'll give it to you through the lens of business because I feel like that's always a, a, a good thing people can relate to. From a business standpoint, I'm, I want to create a conglomerate. I've built nine businesses. Actually, two weeks ago, we started the 10th. Uh, it's just kind of on the, on the very, very startup phase. But uh, I, I've been looking at conglomerate models, companies like the Virgin Group, who started, you know, Virgin Records, Virgin Atlantic, Richard Branson, to companies like Tata in India. Um, Tata has consultancy to cars, to you name it. And to jewelry shops. When you look at conglomerates, one of the things that I love about them is that they've built up a phenomenal brand, right? Virgin, Tata. And they've used that brand and parlayed it into different businesses. And there's a very specific structure in which they've done that. And I'm doing that with flow. It's very different than creating business divisions inside of one company. I'm actually creating separate legal entities and empowering. CEOs who I'm coaching up to run these businesses. So I don't even actually have a title in some of my businesses now, right? So I've got flow marketing, which I do still run and I'm grooming my next CEO for that. That's the agency where we produce uh, content and live chat for companies and brands over like a million dollars in revenue. But I've also launching this other uh, business called flow health where we, uh, basically do patient engagement in order to improve healthcare delivery. Uh, and, and we're doing that with another CEO. So I'm building out this conglomerate model where I'm training up CEOs and taking a, a obviously a, a majority interest in that business, but I don't even have a title in there. This part doesn't exist, but whatever. Nothing in our world existed till someone came up with it. And That's so right. I'm just coming up with this. Because I believe that my next evolution as an entrepreneur is to create other entrepreneurs. And every one of my businesses has an apprenticeship program in it for low-income youth. We're the first company to have a digital marketing apprenticeship in the nation. A digital marketing apprenticeship where low-income youth, 18 to 24 years old, go through a two-year program while they're working for us. So they're paid full-time, 40 hours a week. They go through an apprenticeship program. So at the end of two years, they're making 40 grand or more and break poverty with or without a college degree. Wow. And every one of my businesses has an apprenticeship program. At the same time, all of the things I'm talking about from a, a mindfulness practice standpoint, all of my leaders are getting coached in mindfulness so that we're infusing each one of those businesses with mindfulness practices. We know that meditation de-stresses the body and helps you think more objectively and clearly, therefore making better decisions, right? So why wouldn't I put that into my businesses to help my leaders make great decisions? So that's how I'm building these, the companies of the future. I'm not looking to sell my companies. I'm not looking to flip them. I'm looking to create something that has multi-generational wealth, something that I didn't have, but I hope to provide for my kids and our family. But most wow. importantly, 
I think we bring the things that we know work. We bring strong mental health into the business. We bring opportunities for people who don't otherwise have a shot but are hardworking and give them a chance and watch what happens. Watch the businesses we create off, the, off those two principles. I think we'll change the game to the point where other companies will take notice and say, look, we need to bring those in because it's a competitive advantage. It's an economic decision just as much as it is a moral decision. Mr. Seth, you have fired me up, bro. If there was ever a driven entrepreneur, and I don't mean driven to make money or driven to succeed, you're driven with a very deep passion about impacting the world. About, And when we throw that word around a lot, and I want to take an extra second to talk about that. We throw around this, you know, you're going to impact the world. You're going to make a big difference in people's lives. And people get excited about that. But really, at the end of the day, if, I think if a lot of people are honest, it's like, yeah, but it's still about me. Like, yeah, my business, I'll be, I'll be straight up, man. Like, I want to make a big difference in people's lives. And I do want to do something great. But also, this is my business that is taking care of my family. When I hear those words for the last five minutes or so on this rant, I hear someone who has it in their soul that I want to leave the world better than I found it. I want to make sure that the people that were in my situation do not have to stay there and there's going to be a change. So I cannot tell you how, um, how excited I am to have met you, how inspired I am by your story and quite frankly, just who you are. Um, so thank you for everything you bring. Thank you for sharing your story with us. We're out of time, man, but um, thank you so much, Andy. Uh, you're a rock star man. and a legend, and you're going to keep rolling. I know it. My pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity to share my story, too. It means the world. Oh, sorry. I cut off Andy at the last second. You said it means uh, so said, much. It means so much to me to, to have the opportunity to share my story, and, and I appreciate you for letting me do that. Thanks, Andy. Good to meet you. Guys, that's Andy Seth for this week. Um, remember, like, if you got inspired like I did, go check out all things Andy Seth. Andy Seth at LinkedIn. Go check out Mr. Andy Seth on his Instagram. He is a thought leader. He's getting out new articles, new concepts. Um, you know, just everything that he's saying is something I think that not just young entrepreneurs, but really almost the young, the next generation needs to hear because this is a guy who wants to influence and do things differently. You know, whether it's the apprenticeship program, whatever it is, doing things differently. Again, last plug, make sure you check out Bling, a story about ditching the struggle and living in flow. You can find that on Amazon. We got a link, of course, in our show notes if you get this on demand. And his music album, Bling by A Love on Spotify and wherever you get music, go get that along with it. That's it for me this week. I'm going to get out there. It's a beautiful snowy weekend in Michigan, so I'm going to get out uh, and enjoy myself in the outdoors this weekend. I'll get back at it Monday morning. Whatever you're going to do, I hope you get out there and crush it and leave the world better than you found it, according to Andy Seth. Thanks, guys. <laughs>